We're going to continue in our uh, series on Matthew chapter 5. We're calling it Your Kingdom Come. And if you have a Bible there that's uh, in front of you or one that you brought, you can open to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew's Gospel chapter 5. Lots of things that we can be praying for today as you turn there. Um, today, Pastor Danny is down in Oxnard at the Church of the Nazarene there preaching. The church there is in pastoral transition, so... I volunteered Danny to go and preach for them, and mostly because I know he's a great preacher, but also because I know he's got a great spirit and a tremendous, uh, just kind of a presence of Jesus that comes through in him in a beautiful way, and I know that'll be uh, formational for that community. We can pray for, uh, we can pray for the Kirkmeyer girls, Kristen and Julia, have been in Romania for the last nine days or so visiting uh, Kristen's sister and their cousins there, and they'll be coming back tomorrow. <laughs> Amen, Greg says. No one, Greg, would have us pray this uh, prayer for their safe and timely return. Absolutely. Uh, got a word from, from Patricio last night that he's some, some concern, Patricio Nava, some health concern. We want to pray for Patricio today as well. Um, and my own, my own daughter, I think she's in childcare, uh, has an MRI this week. Many of you remember her brain tumor from about a year and a half ago, but gets to have these every so often, three times a year. And uh, always a little bit of a heavy concern on, on our hearts, but we have every reason to trust and believe that God's continuing to touch her. Let me just take another moment to pray. I've already done this, but God, I just want to thank you for your touch in the lives of your people here locally, and uh, I want to thank you for having your hand on Danny as he goes to preach today, and just bless that church in Oxnard. I want to ask you to touch Kristen and Julia as they return. Thank you for the time that they've had there. I pray that it's been a blessing to everyone involved, and we pray for Patricio, and we pray for Katie, and, and others that they represent perhaps across this room, even here this morning with health or, or emotional or even just sort of mental kind of concerns, whatever it might be, God, that, that uh, might be slowing us down or tripping us up today, even our own sin and disobedience. We, we pray, God, that, that uh, this would be a place of honesty, of, of, of healing, and of uh, the beautiful presence of Jesus. Bless us now, God, as we look at your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand together as I read this? Matthew chapter 5. And... Uh, we're going to begin at verse 21 and read through to verse 30, wow, 37. The print that I read in my other Bible is bigger than this. So when I grab this Bible to, to read on Sundays, it's always a little small, but it's working out. Matthew chapter 5. Oh, that's nice and big. You can follow there as well. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person then come and offer your sacrifice to God. 
When you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge you will, who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You've also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. So what a passage of scripture. <laughs> oh man, I have this quote from this guy that I had to read later on, but I'm going to see if I can find it really quick because it is, uh, it is so true. You know what, I can't find it right now. I'm sure I'll get to it. But it's basically, he, he basically is saying, this is what happens when you preach from the lectionary. Remember when we were talking about this a few weeks ago, about how we preach from a lectionary, and you preach, and, and one of the things about preaching from a lectionary, a set list of scriptures, a, a table of texts that take you into various parts of the Bible, into places in the Bible that you might not normally want to go, in, in groupings and, and largeness of text that makes it almost impossible to touch on every aspect. Well, this is what has happened this week in the lectionary. I mean, every, every, uh, every sentence in the passage that we have read this morning would require a full sermon almost, an in-depth Bible study to, to really dig into the meanings of everything that's going on contextually in that day and applying that into our day. Um, so much of this is difficult to think about and to talk about and, and really hits us at very personal levels as we read this text this morning. It would be, honestly, a lot easier to preach on salt and light as Aaron got to last week. I mean, who scheduled the preachers on this calendar? Um, and really, just to jump on to next week, I mean, look at verse 38 on to 48 teaching about love for our enemies there at the end of chapter 5. I mean, this is, this is preachable stuff. But this be middle part of chapter 5, so hard but so important for us, 
even still to think about. And this week, the growth groups, I'm honestly going to leave it to you to do a lot of the nitty-gritty digging into the specific aspects of some of the teaching that Jesus puts out here this, in this text. But this morning, I do want us to make some observations, to reflect on what it is that Jesus is, or actually what Jesus is saying, but also just what is going on in this text. What is being communicated, and how are we to hear it in our day? And what, what really is the takeaway from these very specific commands? At the end of the text that Aaron read last week in verse 17 of chapter 5, Jesus said some really important words that, uh, that I wanted to bring us back to. He said uh, this um, in verse 17, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Right from the start, Jesus is wanting to make it clear to these who have gathered to him. Remember, he's speaking this Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. The crowds are listening in, but it's particularly directed to his disciples. And he wants to tell them right from the start, I have not come to abolish everything that has been taught before me, all that has come in the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments and, and beyond. I have not come to abolish that. And he also, in saying this, he doesn't say, I have come to do something completely new. That's not what he's saying either. He's saying, I have come to fulfill. I have come to accomplish the purpose. I have come to deepen and intensify and, and clarify, really, the meaning that was given in those Old Testament commands and instructions. So here's Jesus. I like to think of him perhaps as a new filter. Instagram and other photo apps have made the common person an excellent photographer by the ability to use a, a good filter, right? I mean, I, I, you still like the photos that you, you see posted online perhaps, and the person just got a great shot somewhere, and and, or, or the, the scenery or the, the people, maybe it was an excellent selfie or whatever it was. And just an excellent picture. And they're, they're, they're prompted to say, hashtag, no filter. Because it was just that good, right? Have you seen that one? But lots of times we do, we add a filter. And what these are, if you're not familiar with this sort of photography thing, I, I don't know how it really works in real photography, but on my iPhone, I just hit a little button and it, it puts a whole new look on that picture. I think I might have a couple of pictures here. Here's one from, from last uh, week. This is my dad's 82nd birthday, and you can sort of see that. The, the photographer, that would be me, didn't do real well with the lighting, but uh, with my mom there, and, and uh, look at that. And is that the filter? And there's the filter. Thank you. The filter brought a little light up. The filter on this one was instant. This was just from my, my phone. I thought that was kind of appropriate since a lot of the pictures of my childhood were taken with instant cameras and uh, with my folks. But just a little bit of a different take on the lighting, just a, a new way of seeing that picture, right? Here's, here's another one from this week. I got to have a big old piece of birthday cake with Christina. She's not here this morning, but Deborah and I got to go out with Christina for her birthday as well, and uh, we had just a super time together. But I, I made this one... Um, Noir. <laughs> Noir. It's just a little dramatic, isn't it? I mean, just sort of 
puts it right into that kind of whole different theme, whole different genre, if you will, as we look at that picture. And just this new, this filter, it's the same picture in a sense, but now it's been intensified, it's been deepened, it's been, it's been just altered in a sense it, 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 to make you see it in a new way. This is what we might think of as Jesus and who he is in relation to the law. He's a filter. He's a, he's a new way through whom we see what God has been doing all along. He's not making this up as he goes along. It's not something brand new. He's saying to us that he's taking what has been and now through him we are to see this in a new way. In a, in a deep way, not just on a surface level sort of acted out way, but on a heart level way we are to see what God's commands and God's desires and what God wants for us in this life. And it's through Jesus that we can see this. It's not a doing away with, it's a, an embracing in a new fashion. Thank you, Jesus, for being a new filter through which we can we can maintain, you know, a, a significant chunk of our Bible and, and, and see it in a, in a way that is meaningful and purposeful and engaging. And so he says right here in, in, in this verse that we read, verse 17, I, I did not come to abolish. No, I came to accomplish this purpose, this new lens. And now we can listen and look at everything that has been said and everything that Jesus will say and, and think about how we, are, how we are applying that, how we are hearing that, how we are being obedient to that at the deepest levels of who we are as people. Remember, in this Sermon on the Mount, it's so easy just to, I don't know, again, it's just so easy for me to step back and just even hear the title that has been given, Sermon on the Mount. And just think of it as, you know, like the uh, State of the Union, you know, or some other speech that has this beautiful name that you almost forget what is even said in it because it's just taken on such grand proportion of just kind of how important it is. And it'd be so easy to think of this sermon that Jesus is speaking as just some philosophical ideas or just a... Uh, like a, a magnum opus or just sort of this, this, this statement of, of what Jesus is all about. And, and in many ways it is that. But, but we can't forget the personal nature of what Jesus is saying, especially as we look at these particular verses here today. Jesus is not just kind of, you know, talking just off into space somewhere. He's talking to people. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to these who have become his followers, and he's, he's got this one very urgent purpose, and that is to form a community of faith. It's to shape a people who will become the, the first Christians, and to give, give, give trajectory to what this movement will become. So when Jesus speaks here in the Sermon on the Mount, it's like, man, this is important. I'm setting the stage, and I'm setting the direction for what this movement will become. It's very, very personal, and it's important that we not hear these words just as sort of nice sayings from a religious sage, but as very personal instructions from a God who loves us and who wants nothing more for us to be shaped in his image and as his people 
as his followers. He's speaking to us as his disciples. He's teaching his church to to get rid of things and to welcome other things to be shaped by his presence in particular. Countercultural, countercultural, everything that we read, countercultural expression of what it means to be the people of God. Now, likely also, uh, others have noted that Jesus, um, in, in this address, M- Matthew, who is recording this, is, is likely um, sort of summarizing or pinpointing some of Jesus' teachings, again, not only to disciples in, in that space, but disciples in the time and in the local context in which Matthew was writing his gospel. So not only were these important words for disciples then and for forever, but these were, again, personally words that Matthew wanted the people that were within his context to hear. People who were, frankly, mad at each other, right? In, in the church that Matthew went to. Mostly Gentile believers and people who were struggling with lust and with sexual temptation. People who were wrestling with the propriety of divorce and taking oaths. I mean, this was like rubber meets the road kind of teaching for Jesus and for Matthew in that local congregation. Jesus is saying, here's the law, but I'm going to the heart of it to show how children of the kingdom of heaven live out its deepest meaning. Here's the quote from that guy. He said, how do you faithfully exegete or interpret a passage as diverse, as significant, and as complex as the passage before us? Well, good luck on that this week in your growth groups. For right now, we're going to do something else. No, I I do want to just make some observations about this this particular text. Here's the first one. Jesus' commands here reveal his authority and his wisdom. And uh, just this statement it says over and over there in these, in these verses, but I say to you. Did you hear that? But I say to you. Over and over, Jesus says this, and the audacity of him saying this needs to be noted. Jesus takes the Old Testament word of God, and then he says, and that was good, but I say this to you. And if, if anything other than um, can he really do that, is our reaction, then we have the wrong one. Our initial reaction should be, say what? This is what has stood for years, centuries, generations, and now here comes one who says, this is what you have heard said. But I say to you, and we say, really? Not only what you're going to say, but the very fact that you would say, but I say to you, and just uh, understand here that right from the get-go with these words, Jesus is one who obviously understands himself to be speaking with some authority. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we'll hear the, the crowds, they'll say the, 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 the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority. Jesus knew it. 
Jesus knew he had this authority, and so right from the start, but I say to you, he understood himself to be more than just a good teacher, more than just a nice man. He had some things to say that had some authority, and they needed to be heard, and they needed to be responded to. I just broke it down, but I say, but how things have been are not how they're going to be going forward. Something new is happening, something, a, a new way of seeing the world, a new way of relating to God and to one another. But I, here was a new authority, but I, Jesus says. He's not quoting scripture now, he's not citing other authorities, he's not talking about other things, but he's saying, but I, but I. Everything is new because of Jesus on the scene. Everything is different, a whole new way of seeing the world. The prophets had said, thus says the Lord. But Jesus didn't use that formula. Jesus said, but I. But I. The Bible says this, but I say this. I mean, talk about authority. This is what Jesus is claiming here. But I say, I say he had some new things to say. Personally, again, speaking to his disciples. Didn't say he'd come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Literally, to fill up the law. To, to give it meaning. To give it significance. To give it beauty. We need to consider who we're dealing with here in this sermon. I sometimes... I sometimes wonder if we've been, um, if we've gotten our Jesus vaccinations. And we've talked about this in here before, but, you know, when you're a kid and you go to get your, your shots, you just get a little bit of the, you get a little bit of the, the, the disease, you get a little bit of the virus, the strain, you get a little bit of it, so your body will build up antibodies, right? And it, so it'll be able to fight it off from the very beginning. And if that ever comes back at you, you're, you've built up the immunization so that you can, I'm using really high-level words for me right now. I hope I'm on target at least most of the way. But, but you've built up this immun, immunization, this immunity, so when that comes back at you, you'll be able to fight it off. Sometimes I wonder, especially in the context in which we live, Show up at church. I love the fact that, you know, I was raised in the church and we've got kids coming to church. They're learning about Jesus even right now. But, but sometimes I wonder and sometimes I fear that we might get just a nice vaccination of Jesus. Might get a, a significant amount, but not enough to really fill us with the virus but enough so that we might build up antibodies and immunization, immunities against the fullness of who Jesus is and what he wants to say. I just want to encourage us right from the start, as we're obviously not at the start of this sermon anymore, of this Sermon on the Mount, but as we engage into these texts this morning, think about who we're listening to. This is someone with great authority. And if there's any chance that you have some immunity built up to hear from Jesus himself, then ask the Holy Spirit even right now to come and tear it down. And that we would be people who would not only hear from Jesus right now and this morning, but that we would be people who are open to the teachings and the ways of Jesus in our lives from day to day to day. These commands reveal his authority. 
and his wisdom. This Jesus is no dummy. He's not just, again, coming up with this stuff out of thin air. This is incredible wisdom that is not only, you know, that we don't need to just see as somehow trying to constrain us or keep us from doing what we want to do, but, but that is guiding us into a wise and healthy and beautiful life. Jesus' commands reveal his authority and his wisdom. Here's another thought. Jesus' commands demonstrate the very serious nature of discipleship. I mean, did anybody else just kind of almost, you know, like fall over when you read some of these things again or were reminded of them? At least you were kind of pushed back as you heard this and, and, and maybe you thought, well, that was nice for then, but uh, obviously things are different now. Because we don't see this sort of serious nature of discipleship a whole lot in our world. We see a lot of lip service, perhaps. We see a lot of nominal Christianity. We see a lot of in-name-only faith, especially in the country in which we live, where it's just you know, part of our birthright to be Christian in many ways. But we don't see a lot of radical discipleship like Jesus speaks of in this passage. This is, man, I, if you can't pick up on this, then, then we have to we need to read this several times more this week. But this is Jesus saying to you and to me, to be my disciple is not a game. It's not a game. And, and, and if you think it's a game, we'll read it again. And, and if, if we think we can just sort of skate by and we can just kind of say a prayer and then that's all that Jesus wants for us, then read it again because over and over here in this section and over and over throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it will come clear to us that this is not a game. This is very, very serious business. And I'm trying to say this with a smile on my face because I have no jokes to make about it. It's just not funny. It's just not funny. But this text tells us again that if we had any, if we had any doubt, if we had any hesitation as to the nature of this relationship, Jesus is all in. And he's asking for nothing less from his disciples than for them to be all in as well. Now, let me just say this. We're not all there, and that's okay. We're not all at that place. We're not all at that space in the journey. And, and Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, get away from me and figure it out, and then come back and we'll, we'll, we'll talk. He says, no, come on. Let's walk in relationship together, but this is where we're going. <laughs> Let me be very clear, Jesus wants to say this. This is where we're going. There's a target here in mind. It's not just wandering in relationship. It's growing. It's learning. It's discovering. It's becoming. Jesus isn't ready to give the easy way out. He's not ready just to even give the surface level. You have heard it said, but I say he wants to take it to the, to the, to the very heart of God. He gives examples. It isn't just 
killing people physically that I'm concerned about. It's also being angry with that person. I mean, why does he start with that one? It's not just, it's not, it's not just killing someone physically. It's, it's being angry with that person. The heart of Jesus' command commentators tell us is don't stay angry don't nurse that hatred are we going to get mad yes we're going to get mad don't harbor it don't give it place to grow in us we have to decide what we're going to do with our moments of anger will we prolong it or will we allow Jesus to master it in us if anger and insult are so serious and so dangerous we got to avoid them Jesus says no wonder when I think I told some recently when I used to call my sister names when we were little, my mom used to get so worried. I think I even called her a fool one time. I know, I know. And, and, and you know, my mom maybe perhaps hearing this literally is like, that's, that's, that's hell talk right there, James. And she didn't say it like that, but that was the point she was communicating. I mean, Jesus is is not messing around with our anger. He's not messing around with the words that we say to one another, the way that we value one another. It's not just flippant conversation. It's not just sarcastic comments. Jesus says this is incredibly critical because he has created every person in his image and how are we to treat them or talk to them in any way that downgrades that? We're not to be angry with people in the world. We're not to be angry with fellow believers. Perhaps we get angriest with Christians. I read this week, this guy said, because we expect the most of each other. Maybe that's true. Maybe you get a little mad at me because you had higher standards for me than somebody else. Maybe you get a little upset with your fellow Christian brother or sister because you had a different expectation or chief missionary task is to love one another and it seems as if Jesus is saying to his disciples right there don't be angry with one another because this is a poison that will pollute the community of faith and tear us apart and not allow us to be all that we need to be for the mission of the world. Jesus moves the Old Testament teaching on adultery but quickly asserts that the real problem is not just the sexual immorality, the outward act, but that which is going on in the hearts of people. That which is, that which is thought, that which is harbored, that which is, is, is longed for. And, and not only what is in the heart, but then quickly relating that to, to how the heart is connected to the eyes and making this connection, this very practical this very serious, practical connection between our hearts and our eyes. A command to get rid of eyes, to gouge them out, and hands to cut them off. An example of our Lord's dramatic speech, not advocating a literal self-maiming, but a ruthless self-denial. I'm always a little concerned when I speak on this passage that the next time I see folks are going to have gouged out eyes and cut off hands. And that's, that's not what Jesus is going for here. 
with the radical, serious nature of this command is indeed faithfulness in marriage. Perhaps the, of all the subjects that we could talk about here this morning that Jesus speaks of, divorce is the most controversial and complex. And not uh, one of us are not touched by it at some level this morning. I, I think I can say that with pretty good confidence. That at some level, whether a family member, whether yourself, whether a parent, whether a good friend has been impacted by divorce. Tragic on so many levels. So complex. And for us to just sort of simplify it in any, at any, in any way as we look at this text is, is hard to do. Tragic. Broken, abusive marriages, perhaps, leading to divorce. Tragedy of broken families and relationships. And yet, Jesus speaks very clearly to forbid divorce in this passage. And he'll speak about it later in, in Matthew 19 as well, give a little bit more fullness to his teaching. But it, in the three sentences or so that he speaks on it, he just, if there's one thing he just wants us to make, that he wants to make clear, that he wants us to be sure and know is that it is... It is not a game. It's very, very serious. And that not only the, the divorce itself, but the remarriage is, is problematic. And even sin, in the words of Jesus. Talk a lot about the ancient Israelite practice and what Jesus was trying to do and his, his attempt to, to value women here by his statement and to not allow them in that context and even in ours to be just cast aside with a marriage certificate. And Jesus is taking this sort of concession that Moses has made for the brokenness of the people and he's saying, you know what, no more concessions. It's just broken, it's just sin, let's call it what it is. And probably that's what we need to do today. And that, again, for each of us at any place in the divorce spectrum, wherever it might touch us, and to speak of it that way does not make us removed from God. It rather makes us even more dependent on him for forgiveness and for grace and for strength. We move on to that idea. I'll skip the oaths for now. Because it's this idea that Jesus' commands, especially these that we hear in this passage, remind us of our need for his grace and for his strength. But I say to you, not only do those words connote the authority of Jesus, but they suggest his presence, and his strength in not only the giving of the command, but in the equipping of his people to carry them out. His commands remind us, they speak to us of our need for his grace and his strength and of his promise to be available to us. I mean, for any of us to read these Verses to read these commands and to just kind of close up the Bible and either take, take either extreme to say, oh yeah, I got those. I'm all good. Let's go. On to verse 38. 
Or on the other extreme, say, no way, forget it. I'm out even now. There's no way I can get there, so forget it. It is, is not either of these is what God wants for us as we read this passage of Scripture. It would be to be right here. Man, that is hard. What are you asking of us to do and to be? This vision of this life in the kingdom is more than I think maybe I signed up for. I'm about ready to, to bail. Or on the other hand, ah, it's not that big of a deal. I got this. Yeah, I might blow it every once in a while, but I'll just keep on going. Jesus says, no, wrestle with the difficulty, the, the tension, and celebrate the, the possibility, but do so with a great reality that it is only by the grace of God and by the strength that the Spirit provides that we might live out these commandments with integrity, with wholeness, and with life. This had be, better be, one writer said, this had better be a word of Jesus both the command and the promise, or this case is hopeless. Another said, I, I love this idea, that these commands, they evangelize us. Like when we read these commands, we have to immediately recognize how deeply we need the forgiveness and the grace of God. They, they just knock us off our feet in terms of our own ability to do this. I mean, some of you are very... Uh, just capable people. In fact, I'll throw that out to everyone. You are all very capable people. You have a great capacity for doing lots of things. But when we look at this task that Jesus has lined out for us, these commandments, then we are very incapable of keeping these all the time. You, you might get lucky. I might get lucky and be capable of not being angry for a little while, but sooner or later, someone's going to come at me that's going to make me a little edgy. And I'm not going to be really, you know, determined to just quickly let that anger kind of slide on out. There's a strong part of me, and if I'm the only one here, then, you know, you guys are more capable than I imagined. But there's a strong part of me that wants to hold on to that a little bit longer. Especially if they did something to my family or said something about a good friend or Tacked my freshman basketball team. Just asked the scorekeeper at the Moore Park High School. Um, but there's a, the, the capacity is, is not there in our own strength. But look what these do to us. They evangelize us. They, as soon as I read it, man, I can't do that. Man, I need Jesus. Wow. Don't lust. Oh, I need Jesus. Don't call that person that name. Don't, don't make an oath. Don't swear by something. I need, I need Jesus. And not only do they evangelize us, but you know what they do? They send us right back to the Beatitudes. We talked about these a few weeks ago, but they send us right back to the Beatitudes, especially the first four. If you have your Bible open, just look back there. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Got that right. As soon as I read these in, in particular, it's like, I am more poor than I ever knew in spirit. And I need Jesus. Guess what? Blessed are those people. Look at that. Look at the next one. 
God blesses those who mourn. Oh, man, I read these commands from Jesus, and I just, just mourn the times that I have failed him, the times that I have not lived up to that, the times that perhaps you see yourself in the very commands as the one who did what he exactly asked us not to do, and we mourn. And we mourn our own sinfulness, and we mourn the brokenness of the world around us. And what does it say? They'll be comforted. It sends us right back to the Beatitudes. As those who are humble, the third one in the Beatitudes, when I read these commandments, what else can I be but humbled, meek? Mild, recognizing that I don't have all the answers, recognizing how desperate I am for God. They'll inherit the whole earth. The last one there, the fourth, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. These commands stir in me not only a sense of my own lack, but they stir in me a desire for what God would have for me. They stir in me a desire for what God would have in the world. They send me right back to that place where I'm not there yet, but this is where you're inviting me by the power of your Holy Spirit, by your grace, you're forgiving me, by your strength, you're equipping me. I'm not there yet, but I'm hungering and thirsting for what it is that you want in the world, God. What it is that you have for me, what it is that you want to do through me. Commands remind us to lean into, to depend on, to count on the grace and the strength of God. Here's the last idea that comes through the text. It's just this idea that Jesus' commands invite these small steps of obedience. And I'm calling them small, and they might be small at some level, but they might seem very, very big at other times, all right? But but recognizing that Jesus has authority and that we need, that, 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 that discipleship is not to be like a game, it's not to be messed around with, and recognizing that, that we are de- totally dependent on his grace and his strength, if we're going to make any headway, then Jesus is very clear to say, and this is how you do it. And, and, and this is not just conceptual. This is not just a nice idea for you as you think about being disciples, but Here's some of the things that you can actually trust in my grace, relying on my strength, begin to do. Little, small steps of obedience. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it cool if you're a parent, if you had little kids around, and Greg, you've had a couple of little kids really around the last 10 days, and yeah. But isn't it great, isn't it just wonderful when you, as a parent, give some instruction, especially some good instruction, we've all probably given some that wasn't so good at times, but some good instruction, and you see your child beginning to, to, to move in ways of actual obedience, and, and, and you see your child responding the first time, and not after, you know, 10 minutes. And you see your child, like, even beginning to internalize some of that instruction. And so they begin maybe to, to, to act in ways that you would want them to even before you ask them to. 
I'm not whispering for dramatic effect so that my son will hear that. I'm just, I'm just whispering so that it would catch our attention. What? Jesus, as he speaks again, and he gives these little steps of, of obedience, longs for us to begin to move into these directions. And, and you know, we've got this saying around our house, listen and obey right away. And, and it just seems like, especially with these, these commands that Jesus has given, it's one thing to, to mentally agree. It's another thing even to spiritually assent and say, amen. Can I get an amen? It's, it's one thing to get an amen. But it's another thing for us to walk out of this room today, or it's another thing even where you sit right now with the anger and resentment that may be boiling at some level in your heart and in your mind. Maybe uh, it's one thing to, to, to assent to this, it's another to actually act upon it. You're in a church service, singing that awesome worship song, Oceans. Wasn't that awesome this morning? Suddenly you remember somebody's got something against you. You're offering your sacrifice. You're coming in communion. You're bowing in prayer. You you remember somebody's got something against you. And Jesus says, go and make it right. You know, as I, I read that again, I thought about our greeting time. And I thought about the importance of our greeting time. You're talking about something that perhaps we've been vaccinated against. It's the greeting time. Hey, how you doing? How's, how's your day? How's your week? Pretty good? Hey, high five. Good. I'm, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. So, you know, one finger at you, four back at me, whatever that is. Three back at me. Um, but I was thinking about our greeting time. What if, you know, in the ancient church, it was the, it was the kiss of peace. It was, the, it was really share the peace of Christ. Today it's more, how, how you doing? Can I get you some more coffee? What if we were to use, we usually do the greeting time about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes into our worship service. And uh, three or four songs have been sung, and then we greet one another. What if we were to use that first and second, maybe even that third song to ask the Lord to search our hearts? If there's someone in this room even that I need to make peace with. And you probably aren't going to be able to do it in 30 seconds or even two minutes. But to, but to go during the greeting time even. And simply say the peace of Christ be with you. Or say I'm sorry. Or say I really want to make things right between us. Or say, I I think I offended you by something I wrote on Facebook this week. (laughs) Or I think I hurt your feelings by something somebody else told me. And I want to make that right. What if our greeting time even became that place? Now, that's just a very simple but small step of obedience. Another thing, perhaps, to leave this place and get on the phone with an estranged relative or uh, 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 just a, a neighbor who you've just got a bitter, divisive dispute that's been going on for years and to take an, the initiative and to take a step to, 
to as far as it concerns you, as Paul wrote in, in Romans, be at peace with everyone. Here's the small step, Jesus says, though. If, if you got an adversary on your way to court, hey, make it right. Make it right on your way there. Don't even wait for that judgment. Don't even wait the trouble that it might come. Take a small step. As soon as you're conscious of a broken relationship, mend it, apologize, pay the debt, make amends, driven to action. With lust, same thing. Don't let it simmer. Little steps of obedience. Pluck out your own eye. Cut off your, your, even your strong hand. And while this is hyperbolic, sort of over-the-top kind of language, might we hear Jesus saying, act as if your eyes were gouged out? <laughs> act as if those hands were cut off, those feet, whatever it is that might be causing you to lust, causing you to slip into sin, act as if it wasn't there and move in a new direction. It's better to act as if it's not there and to make it into the next life with God the Father than to celebrate it in this life and not make it to the next, Jesus says. Maybe it's not an eye or a hand or a foot that needs to be cut off. Maybe it's a, an activity. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a TV show. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's your computer. I don't know what it is that might just need to be cut off. And in some cases, now it's not hyperbolic and metaphorical. It's literal. A small step of obedience. When it comes to the issue of divorce, might we be people who love one another well? <laughs> might those of us who are married learn to value our spouses? Small steps. Men, it's Valentine's Day this week. And, you know, can I get an amen? Yes. Um, and I'm not trying to sell Hallmark cards here or flowers or chocolates, but might there be some expression Husbands to our wives, not just on February 14th, but all the time. And it goes both ways. Amen. Amen, Greg says. Ladies, might we invest into the lives of our husbands? Single people, might we pray for people who are married? Some of you have been married and no longer are and know the challenges of married life. Some of you long to be married and others who have been married and who no longer are wonder why you long to be married. But um, whatever your place in marital life as single people, might you pray for those who are married? Might we not just pray for specific people who are married, but might we pray for the institution of marriage. No political speeches here, but might we just pray for this God-ordained idea 
this beautiful opportunity for man and wife to treasure and value one another and pour their lives into one another, not for simply for each other's good, but for the good of the world. Might we believe and pray and take small steps in this direction? With oaths, they've sort of gotten the leftovers here this morning, but you can, again, talk. Just, just, just tell the truth. Just, we don't need to say, we don't need to swear by this or that. Jesus is saying, Christian people, disciples of mine, forming this Christian community, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Small step. But that moment where you feel mm, that temptation to embellish just a little bit. Or when a slight twisting of the story will elevate your status just a little bit more. Can I just tell you, I know this, you know this from personal experience, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. That sense afterwards of, why did I say it like that? That's not really how it happened. I know because it made me look a little bit better. Was it really worth it? No. To be people who are people of truth, people who are people of honesty, people who are valuing others as we speak the truth to them. Well, that's, the, uh, that's really, if we were to put a summary on these commands, that they're all about how we relate to other people. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up here. It's really about how we have taken this, this relationship that we have found with Jesus and this status that he has invited us into of discipleship, this interaction with the Father and how now we are living that out by the way we live in relationship, loving relationship with others. How we take this, this vertical, and make it this, this horizontal relationship. This is what it looks like to be disciples of Jesus. Let's stand together, can we? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are one who speaks with authority. Help us to have ears to hear your authoritative voice. And Lord Jesus, today if you're speaking to anyone here about any of these specific issues or about some of the larger ideas that we have discussed, then give us the ears to hear, the hearts to receive, the lives to obey what it is that you want to say to us. Lord Jesus, if we ever thought differently, we're reminded today that this life with you is not a game. That you meet us right where we are, yes, but you desire for us to move forward to where you want us to be. Lord Jesus, help us to 
lean into your grace and to your strength to remember that the one who calls us is also the one who equips us, that you won't lead us out into these places and leave us, that you will draw us out and walk with us. Thank you, Jesus, that even today as we recognize the time after time, perhaps after time, that we have fallen short even of these commands as we're reminded of them today, that we're cast back onto the Beatitudes. We're cast back to that desperate need for you, to a place of mourning, to a place of hungering and thirsting. That we, We're cast back by our lack and we're met there by your strength. And thank you, Jesus, that that you're taking us each by the hand, even right now, as we reach to you. And you're walking with us step by step. And you're going to show us step by step little, perhaps large ways that we can turn the direction, turn an, in a new way, and begin to be the people that you have created us to be the community of faith that you are calling us to be, the followers of Jesus that you so long for us to be in the world. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for these commands because they, they make us new. Thank you for being the filter, Lord Jesus, that fills them up in our lives and makes them full of meaning and significance and life. We love you, and we respond to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name.